If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 15 is where we want to be this morning. I want to start this way. A what if question. Don't you love what ifs? What if you gave somebody that was special to you a very precious gift? I mean, it was, it's expensive, and you've thought about it, and it just wasn't something you went and got real quick and just last minute, but this is something you worked at. You thought, what would be the perfect gift to give this person? And you went and bought it, and you paid a good price for it. You wrapped it, and you made it a special thing, and you gave it to them. And they kind of open it up and look at it and say, well, yeah, that's kind of cool, and sets it aside, and is so indifferent about it. In fact, when they go to leave, they leave it there. How would you react to that? What would you be thinking? Well, you'd probably be kind of upset. Your heart would be a little bit broke, thinking you'd put all this effort into this gift, and all of a sudden, they just really don't care. Let me ask it this way. What if the songs we sing at church, what if the sermons we preach or the sermons we hear, what if the acts of service that we do, those things that we're involved in, those things we call ministry, what if all those things are simply empty gifts back to God? Empty gifts. How would we react? You see, what if our lives are wrapped up in, with this spiritual image on the outside? In other words, people see us come to church. People see us do what we do. People see that, yeah, we like God and we love God and we're going to do things for him. But sometimes on the inside, because our hearts are so far from God, we actually offer God an empty gift. What I mean by that is this. Sometimes what we do and how we do it is more than actually what we're doing. So if I'm doing something and I have a bad attitude about it, is it going to be anything to God? God's going to go, no, that's kind of an empty gift. You know, I'm glad you're doing it, glad you're getting it done, but it's really not worth anything. I was telling some people this morning on our way back from Crawfordsville yesterday, I stopped at a car fire. It had just started. Some other people had stopped right before me and helped this lady get out of the car and get some stuff out of the car. In fact, the one guy was scared there was kids in the car because she was a young gal. But it was all good. And so I'm standing talking to a county officer while the fire department's arriving and all this, just kind of minding my business, enjoying watching, you know, I'm sorry for the lady, her car was burning up. It's a brand new car. Her boyfriend just got it for her three days before. Now it's all up in flames. And all of a sudden, as I'm talking to this county officer, the fire chief who was on the truck running the pump yells at me. Literally just looks at me, points at me, get your car out of here. Looked at the policeman, I said, it's not my car. <laughs> I said, he asked so nicely, you know. And the cop kind of looked at me like, I don't know what's going on. So I looked at the chief, and I said, it's not my car. I said, but since you asked so nicely, because I knew whose it was, I went got him and moved the car. And then he said something else that me and the county guy didn't even understand. And I just kind of looked at the chief and said, it's a car fire. Everybody's out. It's all good. You know, and that probably didn't make him real happy. So me and the county just went our way. You know, how hard would it have been to simply say, hey, is that your car? Could you move it, please? Instead of barking orders at me. It's all in our attitude a lot of times. So I'm going to ask you this this morning. What would Jesus undo in our life? 
as far as hollow worship in our life or empty worship or what Jesus actually calls worshiping in vain. Listen to what he says in verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 15. He says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? You ready for this? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Ooh, big news here, okay? So understand, the Pharisees are obsessed with cleanliness, okay? Which I don't mind people washing their hands before they eat. In fact, I kind of appreciate it, you know. But the Pharisees are obsessed. Nothing to do with being physically clean, per se, but they're all obsessed with this. You see, devout Jews, things were either clean or unclean. Simple. It's either clean or unclean. So do the Jews understand, if you touched a pig, you were unclean, okay? If you touched a dead body, you were unclean. If you touched somebody who has some sort of skin disease, you were unclean. And get this, if you touched a person that was unclean, you were now unclean. And you wondered where cooties came from in elementary, right? You know, all of a sudden you were unclean because you touched somebody else. And what I could find was to be unclean meant they were unfit for worship. So what they had to do is go through this kind of ceremonial cleansing. And what was called was uh, they had to do what? What was it? To cleanse themselves is this elaborate thing where they had to take a quarter log of water. I had to look that up. No idea what a quarter log of water was. Somebody explained it was about an eggshell and a half full of water. Okay? This is all it took. Had to be poured on both hands, fingers pointed upward. Water must run off the wrist. But now this water that's running off the wrist is now unclean. Now understand, the Jews took this so far that, yes, they would wash their hands before meals, but they would also wash their hands between courses. Okay? So they'd have a cheeseburger, wash their hands, have their cheeseburger, wash their hands, have their, you know, french fries, wash their, you know, right on through. They were so devout about this. So to, be there, to get cleansed meant they could come into worship again. They could go to worship. It was very important to them. But the Pharisees are asking Jesus this question. Why don't your disciples do this? Why don't they do this? And Jesus kind of becomes unglued on these Pharisees. And I kind of like it. And he says this. And you kind of want these guys to understand And he says, you aren't treating people right, basically, what he's saying. In verses 3 through 6, Jesus is telling these Pharisees, you're obsessing over external things when internally you're far away from God. Catch verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He says, they worship me in vain. So Jesus is asking them, asking the Pharisees, how do they worship? Where are their hearts when it comes time for worship? Because he's saying your worship isn't pleasing to God. It's not touching the heart of God. It's all external. They want people to see them do these things and think how holy they are. So again, what would Jesus undo about our worship, our hollow worship? our vain worship. 
Are we simply praising God externally when we come into his presence? Are our hearts far from being right? Yeah, maybe you've had a busy week. Maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe it's one of those deals. You got up this morning and it's like, oh yeah, it's Sunday, so I have time. I'm going to go to church real quick. So we come running in. We go to church. We're through. We get out. Oh, good, I came to church. Was that true worship? No. No. I can guarantee you that really didn't please the heart of God. It pleased us. The numbers on the board look good. I sat in the pew, so I'm good, right? That's not what Jesus is saying. He said, I truly believe we have the potential for growth when it comes to worship. I mean, preparing ourselves for worship. And I've always said for a long time that worship on Sunday begins a lot of times on Saturday night and what we do and how we do it. Because if we make plans on Saturday night and we say, well, it's going to be 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, well, that's okay, the only thing we have tomorrow is church, and then we're good. So we stay out till 1 or 2 in the morning doing what we do, and then we try to come in and worship, and all I see a lot of times, and I'm sure Richard and Wayne has seen this, people sitting there, you know, dozing off. You know, and I'm sure God's up there going, really? Really, that's all you got for me? You know, I'm glad we don't have the big churches like we used to, and you'd all be sitting in the windows, and the windows would be open, and you'd fall right out like in the New Testament. You know, okay, let them stay there. They're still sleeping well. But we have this potential. So what is true worship? What is true worship? I think our world today has gotten confused about what worship is. We'll argue over style of worship. We'll worship, we'll argue over environment of worship, you know, lights and smoke and all that kinds of stuff. And some of us would say, well, that's not true worship. Wait for it. Or is it reverent worship? Or is it rowdy worship? I mean, the Bible says we worship a joyful God, so worship has to have great passion to be true worship. So which is right? Or is it the song selection that we do? Courses versus hymns. Whether we project the words or we use our hymnals, is that true worship? Does it take a lot of readings and responsive readings? Is it a cappella? Is that true worship? Or is it only with a piano and organ? Then what about drums and guitars? Now, I want to tell you personally, I got a son-in-law that plays a mean drum. You know, I love going to a worship set where he's up there leading, or leading worship on the drums because you can just see the passion come out as he's, you know, and everybody's worshiping. But I fear a lot of times if I would set up a set of drums up here, nobody would have to play them. Because when I was at Hayworth, true, true story, I was told if we put drums in the church, one, people would leave, and two, they would burn them. I had to believe the burning part because in their history, it's actually written when the first piano came into the Hayworth Christian Church. They found it at the four-way stop on fire. True story. True story. What about different? Some people love worship. Some people don't like worship. Let's just get to the preaching. Let's just get to communion. Let's get done. Or maybe raising hands. Maybe shouting. Some churches have people have these ribbons and streamers and all those things. What is true? What, which is right? Both? Neither? 
I like what Francis Chan said just a few months ago. People were coming out of worship where he had preached in California, and one person said, Francis, I really didn't like the worship this morning. You know what Francis Chan said to him? He said, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you. In your outline, it says this. Worship isn't about the style of music. It's about the condition of our heart. It's about what's going on in our heart. Understand, Christianity isn't this hobby that we just do on a weekly basis or do things for God. It's not a simple interest. It's not just a part of our life. Christ is life. Christ is everything about us, everything in us. So everything we do is an act of worship for him when we give him the praise that is due him. So understand, worship isn't the songs that we sing. Worship isn't what we wear. Worship isn't whether we have air conditioning or not, or whether the sun is shining or not, or whether we're in a good mood or not. Worship is the lives we live for God. It's not a matter if we wash our hands first or forget to wash our hands or do those ceremonial things. It's about our heart before God and what we do. You see, worship, true worship, touches the heart of God. He hears our worship when we sing. It's not a style, but it's a reflection of who we are and what we do and how we do it. So how do we express our worship? In your outline, it simply says this. Sometimes we bow in reverence. The psalmist says in Psalms 95, 6, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. And you know, sometimes we get so busy in life. Sometimes things just happen. Sometimes it's good news. Sometimes it's bad news. Sometimes it just happens. But sometimes when we get even good news and bad news, we just fall to our knees. I remember one of the first times when I was working in Lafayette on the ambulance, uh, as me being a minister even, my nickname was Preacher Kurt by one of the doctors. So anytime there was bad news to go to the family and I was on duty, they came and found me to go with the doctor. What I learned very quickly is we made sure somebody was on each side of the person we were talking to if we were to give bad news. Because one of the first things they would do a lot of times is drop to their knees. You know, it wasn't that we're going to keep them from that, but we just wanted to control a little bit. That happens. But you know, sometimes it's good news. Sometimes it's news that we receive, and it's a joyous news, but it's so joyous, sometimes man, we just kind of fall to our knees, and we just praise God. And I may embarrass her, but it's one of those deals, Cindy, when you guys got the news this week about Ben. You know, he had a tumor. We weren't sure if it was cancer or not. It was on the spine. But when they got the news, it was no cancer. I just have a feeling it was one of those, and she may not have physically went to her knees, but I bet it was like, oh, it's such a relief, as it was when it was, it could be cancer. You see, it's both. But it's, we bow down. We get so overwhelmed. It's like Peter who fell in repentance or the wise men who came kneeling before Jesus and they worshiped him. Sometimes we kneel in respect because of his holiness, because of who he is. You see, the good news today is this. We can bow now or later. Paul told the Philippian church one day, what does he say? Every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So one of the first ways we express it is by bowing. 
and other times is sometimes we lift our hands in adoration. Okay, I want us to understand, and I think we do here because we've talked about it before, raising hands in worship isn't this weird charismatic thing. Okay, it's really not. Raising hands is a symbol, and it's not something that I actually do. It's not something that I have a practice of, but I don't mind people doing it around me because it means that they are getting into God. Paul says we lift holy hands in worship. Okay, so it's one of those ideas that we have to understand. David said that while he was in the wilderness in Psalm 63, 4, he says, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift my hands. Okay? It's not a bad thing to lift your hands. What does it mean when we lift our hands, other than scripturally? One, it's an act of surrender, isn't it? If you've got a policeman that has his gun on you and he says, stop, put up your hands, what are you supposed to do? I know in the world today, not everybody does it. Put your hands up, okay? It's an act of surrender that we do. But it's also an idea that we have to understand that we lift our hands. It's an act of victory also. I mean, think about it. When you get good news, what's the first thing some people do? Yes! I did a football game in Lafayette Jeff yesterday, and I got so tired of running to the end of the football field, still a touchdown. Eight times I had to do that. Okay? Sign of victory. Sign of surrender. It's a sign of adoration to our God. It's not a bad thing when we raise our hands. Sometimes, number three, sometimes we dance in celebration. Okay? Now, I know what would happen here if somebody broke out in dance. Okay? We'd be looking at them going, Matthew, you got it on now, you know. Or what's gotten into him? But again, David says in Psalms 149.3, let them praise him with dancing. Praise him with dancing. Watch a teenager, even an adult, who gets the new iPhone by surprise. What are they going to do? I'm not going to show you. I saw all of you looking at me. They're going to dance. Or maybe the adult or the, the lady that gets new shoes for her dress or the, the guy that buys that new gun. You know, they kind of, I know they won't admit it, but they're dancing on the inside. Or that boy or that girl asks the other one for that first date. And you may not do it right in front of them, but when you get home, man, they're giddy. They say, yeah, yeah, you know, they're dancing. You know, it's all good. David said, you turned my weeping into dancing, my mourning into a time of celebration. So yes, we dance. Yes, we raise our hands. Yes, we do these things. And we have to understand it's one of those things that even in our dancing, it's not a bad thing. But sometimes, number four, we worship with a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Okay? Through all that. Maybe somebody here, and I know somebody's people's here this morning, that have gone through this, where we worship through our pain, 
We worship through our worry. We worship through all, all these things, our heartaches, all the things we have in our life. And we've decided to worship him when we feel him close and also when we don't. I remember when Sandra's dad died. It was a Saturday night. We'd just gotten back from a Christmas dinner for the ambulance service I was working on as a volunteer. We got home and phone rang and her dad had been taken to the hospital over in Newmarket going to Crawfordsville. Snowing. It was bad, but we took off, got in the car, took off, went to Crawfordsville. Before we got 10 miles down the road, Sandra's sister called me and said he had passed away. We went ahead and went on. It took us forever to get there, but we got back to the hotel room that night, Saturday or Sunday morning, about 2 in the morning, and I told Sandra, I said, I don't know what everybody else is doing, but I said, I'm going to church. We was only 10 miles from the church that I was at for eight and a half years. I said, if you all want to go, we're going. I don't know what it was, but I knew me sitting in a hotel room all morning wasn't going to do anything. And I knew going to a worship service and a church I used to be at where, yes, people loved me and all that, but we snuck in the back because we were late. And you know me, I'm never late. But we was able to sit there and we worshiped. And then when they saw us, they, entered, you know, they said we were there and what had happened and all that. And people just came around. You know, sometimes we worship in heartache when God is good, but also when God is bad. You see, our worship is not based on our circumstances. Our worship is based on his character and who he is. We also, daily, we lay down our lives as an act of worship. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 12.1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, we worship in the way we live. We worship in the way we work, in the job I have, and even in the job that I love, and even in the job I hate. Okay? It's our act of worship. In other words, I'm going to worship him when I'm healthy. I'm going to worship him when I'm battling cancer. I'm going to worship him when I have enough and when I don't have enough. I'm going to worship him when I'm in want. I'm going to worship him in the way I live. Everything I do, hopefully it's to the glory of God. Because worship isn't about the songs that I sing. Worship is the life that I live. Worship isn't just music out of my mouth. Worship is born out of my heart in the way that I live every single day. I want you to know something. Sometimes some of the greatest worship that I have isn't in a setting like this. It's not in a setting of a concert with all the lights and all the smoke and all the different things happening. Sometimes some of the greatest times of worship that I have is when I'm alone in my car and just my radio. Okay? That's some of my best worship. Because nobody else is around. Nobody else can hear me sing. But nobody else is going to judge. Understand that. I'm going to close this way. Somebody said it this way. Who was God? He is our rock, our redeemer, righteousness. God is our deliverer, our defense, our strength, our shield, our salvation. He is the bread of life, living water. He is the good shepherd, the true vine. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is a light of the world, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah. 
He is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. He is the Alpha, the Omega. He is the beginning of end. And he is worthy of our worship.